Sometimes you run across a single verse of scripture that stands out like the bright morning star in the midst of hundreds and hundreds of other stars. A verse that stands out brilliantly among the many. Uh, The only caveat is that it's very easy to take these kind of verses out of context and their meaning uh, distorted. But properly understood, they can shape us uh, and rightly lead us on our pilgrim's journey. And the history of the church will bear witness to such a verse uh, as this can be found in this morning's gospel reading uh, from Mark's gospel specifically. Mark 12, 34, and Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Uh, Today we celebrate All Saints Day. and Let me just uh, briefly mention one of the most influential saints uh, in in, in all of Protestant uh, history of Protestant Christianity, John Wesley, who was born 1703. Wesley had a brilliant career as a professor at Oxford. He was ordained a priest in England in 1728. He joined his brother Charles Wesley, great hymnist, uh, and the renowned George Whitfield in a group called the Holy Club. Uh, and it's been said they had a, they probably suffered from a little bit of a spiritual halitosis there. But nevertheless, this club was rigorously dedicated to prayers and lengthy devotion uh, and good works. Wesley later became a missionary uh, to the American Indians in Georgia. But Wesley knew uh, that despite all of his efforts, that something was not quite right in his heart. And when he returned from England, from America, he wrote, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? Long story short, the morning of May 24, 1738, Wesley was randomly flipping through his Bible and he stumbled on Mark 12, 34. And Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Wesley took this verse very personally. And like the star that led the shepherds to Bethlehem on the occasion of Jesus' birth, that birth would lead Wesley to the greatest discovery of his remarkable Christian journey. And I'll return to Wesley in just a moment. Uh, Let us now turn our attention to this man, uh, this scribe, who first heard these words from Jesus' lips. Uh, His story is similar to Wesley's in that this man also, this scribe, would have been rigorously dedicated religious man. And as a scribe, he would be an expert in Jewish law. The rabbinic tradition counted 613 commandments, 365 prohibitions, and 248 positive commandments. Jewish history preserves a a number of leading rabbis who attempted uh, to summarize all of these myriads of commandments to a nutshell. So we shouldn't be surprised that this expert in the law uh, found an opportunity to come to Jesus. So he was intrigued with the fact that Jesus had answered other questions so brilliantly uh, and with authority. And so he goes up to Jesus and said, a teacher, tell me among all these commandments, which is the foremost of them all? And Jesus, pulling from Deuteronomy 6.24, said, This is first. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Notice the word all is used four times for Jesus. All your heart, all your soul, 
all your mind, all your strength. I think it's unnecessary to overanalyze Jesus' answer by trying to make a big determination between heart, soul, mind, and strength. The point is that God commands our love from us with all of our being, with all of our faculties, 100%. Jesus never told us that we could love another person uh, too much or anything else uh, in the world, but he did say something that cracked like a a whip when whatever we love of this world is greater than our love for God. And folks who downplay the seriousness of God's law and of God's expectation often say, well, we just do the best we can and God will accept that. No. God demands it all. He will not accept the best we can do. He demands perfection, absolute obedience to his commandments. And this one is chief of all. A guy in the New Yorker cartoon is at dinner with his friends, and he says, I'm in the market for an easier religion. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Perhaps he was thinking of this very passage. Because if we fail here, we fail it, we completely fail. Jesus intends for us to see how important God's commandments are. And he also intends that we should see that we all flunk. And God does not grade on the curve. Do you believe this? Do you genuinely believe this? Do you take your sinful inability to keep God's law seriously? Because if you do, then truly you are not far from the kingdom of God. This scribe was in fact close to the kingdom of God. He was very close. Of course, standing Just four or five feet away from him was Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who later said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And whether or not this scribe ever walked through the door to the kingdom, we do not know. Maybe he never drew closer. Perhaps an appropriate epitaph for his life would have been close but no cigar. But maybe he did. Maybe he did come to see the light. We know this, that a few years later there was another rabbi who took God's law seriously and committed his entire life to keeping every letter of the law. His name was St. Paul. And yet he wrote, I delight in the law of God, but I see in my heart another law at war with the law of my mind. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, for therefore now there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this passage from Mark is not for the infidel, for people like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, some of these famous atheists who scoff against the very idea of God, because these folks are not even close to the kingdom. But this passage is for people who take God's law seriously, Earnestly desire to live a godly life following commandments. And moreover, it's for people who see how dreadfully short they fail to live up. Which brings us back to John Wesley. Once a member of the Holy Club at Oxford. As seriously and as rigorously as he applied himself to the Christian faith, he knew something was amiss in his heart. Which is why he said, hey, I went to America to convert to the Indians, but who is going to convert me? And it was on that same evening of the morning 
May 24, 1738, <clears throat> that he had stumbled on Mark 12:34, where it is written, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That same, the evening of that same morning, it happened. And here's what Wesley wrote in his journal. <clears throat> that same evening, I unwillingly went to a society at Alder Street where someone was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans about a quarter before nine o'clock while Luther was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Those famous words, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And from that moment on, John Wesley was not near the kingdom of God, but an heir to the kingdom of God. And I'd like to wrap this up by saying something that I think that can't be, it needs to be said again. I cannot help but feel that the bottom line explanation of the problem in our church today, and sure there is a problem in our church today, and not just now, but it's... This has been a problem for centuries. That the bottom line problem of the church today is what Fitzsimmons Allison called the pusillanimous doctrine of sin, which is to say a weak, maudlin doctrine of sin. And if you have a weak, uh, gloss understanding of sin, then you will never know the profound joy of entering through the door of the kingdom. And I'm not talking about superficial joy, superficial happy, happiness, but the joy, the enduring joy of a sinner who's saved by the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. According to what we learn from the gospel, it is indeed possible to be within an inch of the kingdom and not enter. But on the other hand, it is in fact impossible to be looking on that Outside looking in, if you simply come to Jesus empty-handed, trusting in what he accomplished on the cross. I'm reminded of that old 19th century, old Fanny Crosby hymn, a gospel hymn that my grandmother, I can still remember her singing while she was cooking. So near the kingdom, so near to the kingdom, yet what dost thou lack? So near to the kingdom, what keepeth thee back? Renounce every idol, though dear it may be, and come to the Savior, now pleading with thee. And come to the Savior, now pleading with thee. May God draw reluctant hearts and now give doubting souls courage to do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.